0: Hello and welcome to the Constructor Cast, your AGC place for news and views relevant to the construction industry. I'm Scott Barry, your host for this episode, and today I have with me uh, Steve Sandher, AGC's Chief Executive Officer. Welcome, Steve. Thank you, Scott. Uh, let's just jump right in and talk about what happened in the election. Uh, Trump won, or Republicans kept their Senate majority, and in the House, we uh, b- lost only a few seats. So
1: maybe seven and nine. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and I think this was kind of a big surprise for for most people, right? Uh, so what do you think that means for governing next yeah. year? And it's a larger topic
1: yeah. question. Well, let's talk first about the surprise. Um, you know, we were all looking at the same data from what we consider to be reliable sources. You know, that being polling information. Most of the average polls had uh, the swing states the target states uh, uh, for the electoral college vote to be uh, slight advantages for hillary clinton Uh, in fact at five o'clock on election day i was on a conference call with a well-known pollster and uh, he was reporting that his exit poll data showed of all of the so-called swing states the only state that trump had a lead in by virtue of the exit polls, was in Georgia, which would have been at the, at the bottom end of the list of swing states, uh, a reliably Republican state uh, over the last 30 years. You know, the idea that uh, that was the only state that he uh, had a lead in was, you know, more or less told me that, wow, this, this thing is uh, probably over
0: right and it was also it wasn't just the polling it was some of the early voting numbers we were seeing as well and
1: coming from democratic uh, strongholds yeah absolutely um and i also found it interesting that on the day of the election in the afternoon it was reported that you know trump's uh, one of trump's leading campaign advisors kellyanne conway had publicly stated that the republican establishment had let Their nominee down. Um, You know, an obvious ploy to start directing fault when the bad news came. So obviously, her polling was similar to uh, what was publicly released and what what we had seen. So uh, with that being said, a lot of people, myself included, were surprised by the results on election night. And here we are.
0: So why the surprise? Why did Trump really resonate with people that maybe we didn't see or didn't think about early on?
1: Well, I mean, take the personalities out of the race and let, let's let look at the headwinds that any Democrat uh, would have faced in this election. It's very difficult for a party to hold the White House for three consecutive terms. The last time it was done was George H.W. Bush after two terms of Ronald Reagan. And outside of the Franklin Roosevelt, uh, four consecutive terms, the last time prior to that, was um, in the 1920s with Harding, uh, Coolidge, and Hoover. Uh, that's, that's one strong wind against the incumbent party. Secondly, in the eight years of the Obama administration, we've seen lackluster economic growth, uh, well-documented Continued economic unease of uh, working class Americans who've seen their wages stagnated. You know, we saw the reports of dramatic increases in health care premiums for those people in Obamacare exchanges. Beyond the institutional barriers that a Democrat was running up against, you also then had the ethical baggage that Hillary Clinton had. And then, you know, finally, you take a look at what the Democrats in their own uh, autopsies are saying, that, you know, she didn't spend enough time talking about the issues that the vulnerable working class Americans outside of liberal enclaves were actually dealing with, the people in the Rust Belt, the people in rural communities, uh, the people basically in flyover country.
0: Right. And so I don't think it was that any Republican, you know, could have beaten somebody like Hillary Clinton. I think that Trump had a, a, a rather unique message and a unique brand that seems to have pulled a lot of people into the electorate and, uh, and really become interested in politics, whereas before politics, and, and still remains more of a dirty word.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and also, I, you know, you take a look, I think, take a look at all of the conventional wisdom items that he basically discarded. You know, first of all, he didn't raise a lot of money. Secondly, he did not rely on a real campaign apparatus. You know, famously, Hillary Clinton had 500 separate campaign offices all over the country. Uh, Trump was lean and mean. Trump had very thin policy recommendations, um, not only on his website uh, but also in his own proclamations, very thin on policy. I'm told that before the first debate somebody on his staff handed him a very thick binder full of policy positions Uh, He took a look at the binder and said, does the Trump organization own a paper company? And the staffer responded, no. And he said, then why am I getting this? Um, You know, and and then also, here's a presidential candidate over the last 30 years who refused to show us his tax returns. So he basically flouted all of the traditions uh, and, uh, you know, all of the the sacred rules of campaigning for president, and, and he was successful.
0: Given that his positions have been hard to to draw out of him, he kind of obfuscates in some things. He's an expert dancer on many of these things. Has it been difficult from a, a policy perspective, as a trade association perspective, to evaluate him? Yeah,
1: um, yeah. I think after I took the the deep breath uh, on Tuesday night or early Wednesday morning, and I conducted a proper burial for conventional wisdom, <laughs> I. Uh, Uh, I started to think about, okay, how does this play out? And I think the first thing we should take from this is Trump ran not as a conservative but as a populist, uh, as the champion for the forgotten working man and woman in this country, uh, for the people that the Democratic Party has uh, traditionally thought were in their pocket uh, but they had tended to ignore. Uh, You know, when you have Hillary Clinton saying – cavalierly, uh, that we're going to put a lot of coal companies and coal miners out of work. Um, If you're working outside the coal industry in a blue-collar job, you think, well, you know, is my industry next uh, in her sight? And uh, that's not a a comfortable position for somebody who may have limited skills and limited opportunities. So Trump, I think, uh, it's populist. There are some things that he campaigned on that are outside the traditional conservative Republican playbook. Uh, for instance, he said I'm for raising the minimum wage from seven dollars and change to ten dollars. He said I am for paid maternity leave for all employees. He, uh, you know, obviously is against uh, or appears to be against our somewhat free trading philosophy. So, you know, when you hear that and see that, you I think you start to measure that against some of the policy issues that we are likely to face. I mean, one of our objectives with a Republican administration coming in would be to roll back or uh, throw out some of the excess regulatory rules and executive actions that occurred during the Obama administration. Well, I think if you take, look at anything that impacts employees as individuals, Trump, the Trump administration may have a different position than uh, what uh, a traditional Republican president would. So one, one issue in particular, paid leave for federal contractors. What's his position going to be on that? Is he going to support mandatory paid leave for uh, employees of federal contractors? If you, you know, look at his other worker-friendly proposals, it would seem to fall within that category. Uh, So uh, we will have our work cut out for us in that particular issue.
0: I think it's interesting that you uh, point out that he ran as a populist, not a Mm -hmm. conservative, and that he's taking um, somewhat different positions than Mm -hmm. uh, Republicans in the past have. Mm -hmm. Do you think that it works to treat him as a normal, generic Republican? when evaluating his policy options and what we expect for him uh, coming up.
1: I think anybody who does so does so at their own peril. You know, I really, I really think that on some of these things, he's going to be a wild card. I also think that, like Bill Clinton, he will enjoy perhaps triangulating congressional Republicans. Uh, in other words, there may be some workplace issues that he would be uh, more in line with Democrats. And you know may find Democratic support for some of his positions that you know would not be favored by Republicans. We'll have to wait and see if that happens. But you know he when, when I refer to him as a Republican nominee, I have Republican in quotes.
0: So I guess then the, the real question is from the AGC association perspective, is a Trump victory a victory for construction?
1: I would have to say on balance, yes, um, for a number of reasons. Um, uh, let, first of all, let's take a look at how he's lived his life as a developer and a builder. So you know, regardless of what his policy leanings may be, um, he understands the construction business. Uh, he understands the challenges. He understands the opportunities. He understands how things get built, how things don't get built, why they don't get built. Uh, so from, from that perspective, um, I think that that's extremely favorable to, to AGC and its membership. On uh, court appointments for the Supreme Court, he's already come out with a list of 20 or so potential uh, appointees to the U.S. Supreme Court, all of which have been vetted by the Federalist Society, which is a conservative legal group um, that has a more limited traditional view of constitutional interpretation Uh, from a business perspective uh, that's likely to be a good thing Uh, you know and if that if that philosophy that led him to come up with that list for the supreme court uh, filters down to lower court appointments i think that's a positive development for the, the, uh, the business community. Um, you know, the fact that he uh, will have the opportunity to roll back or refine some of the regulatory proposals of the Obama administration uh, is a good thing for us. Uh, you know, I think it's, uh, it's probable that he may reopen the uh, EPA waters of the U.S., definition. I think it's also you know possible that uh, he would require OSHA to take another look at the OSHA silica standard uh, that we are currently in court fighting. I think uh, it's also possible or probable that the so-called fair pay and safe workplaces rule that has already been enjoined by a federal court in Texas, that would be something that he, he may want to be reconsidered. Along with that, You know, we also have, on the regulatory front, we have options under the Congressional Review Act, uh, which uh, allows Congress to uh, effectively veto or override rules that have been issued in the last month of an outgoing presidential administration. So we've reminded the congressional leadership that they have that authority, uh, and we've given them a list of rules that fall within the scope of the time frame that's uh, required there um so that uh, they may act quickly in january to uh, basically discard some of the rules including the blacklisting rule that i've already mentioned
0: so outside of the regulatory scope the trump team has really identified kind of three broad areas uh, that they want to focus on in the first hundred days immigration has been one of those things agc has fought for immigration reform for uh, many years, decades even. Mm-hmm. So what are the kinds of things that we have traditionally sought?
1: Yeah. So uh, for immigration, for us, um, you know, the the primary objective for us is to find some legal status for people that are working in our industry uh, that may have doctored their uh, identification or may have come here illegally. And many um, members of AGC will point out that they've had employees that have been with them for years now, that they may doubt uh, the authenticity of their documentation, but they are productive um, members of their team. Um, they want to find some uh, safe harbor um, to keep them in their employ. I think the conventional wisdom is that Trump, as a hardliner on immigration, is only going to focus on building the wall and getting somebody else to pay for it. I'm a little bit more optimistic there. I really think that because Trump has so much credibility with the hardline immigration crowd, uh, the people that have said that earned legalization short of citizenship uh, is amnesty, uh, that because of his credibility on building a wall or a fence or a virtual fence along the southern border, brings him uh, additional credibility to tackle some of the other big issues that remain in immigration. And that is, we have 11 or 12 or 13 million people in this country without proper, pr- presumably without proper documentation, that are living in a legal limbo. Uh, many of whom are productive, hardworking, family-oriented. and. Uh, they need some type of legal status. And in the years past, what we have supported, uh, which was in the Bush 2006 immigration bill and also in the gang of uh, eight or 10, I forget how many were in the gang in the early days of the Obama administration. Uh, But, you know, bipartisan, bipartisan, reform bills uh, that said if you are here illegally, you pay a fine probably of about $3,500. You have a clean criminal record, you have a job, uh, you pay any back taxes you might owe, you don't get Social Security benefits, you don't get to bring any relatives into the country, uh, but you do get a work permit that lasts for three years. And if you keep a clean criminal record and pay your taxes and keep a job and then demonstrate proficiency in English, you get to renew that work permit for another 3 years. And you can go up to 9 years with that permit and then you can apply for a green card. And then once you have a green card, then you can get in line for citizenship. So, you know, this is not an easy pathway for anybody to get citizenship, but it is a fair and humane way of dealing with people that are here, that are working, that are providing for their families, and that are part of our country now. And because of the hardliners on immigration trust Trump, I think that they would trust him to come up with a uh, method similar to what I just mentioned, and also, you know, when you talk to hardline opponents of comprehensive immigration reform, and you talk about those steps that I mentioned, you see the light go off in their eyes, that they understand that that really is an amnesty, and it really is a fair um, way to deal with this issue. Um, sure, the you know the people that are in jail, the people that are in gangs, you know, most people agree that they have no place here. Uh, But the people that are actually working and are productive and are paying taxes and contributing to Social Security, we ought to find a way to give them some legal status.
0: I know that we often talk about the cyclical nature of workforce at AGC and that sometimes we have uh, workforce shortages and sometimes we don't. So we're kind of steering down that barrel now of an oncoming Mm -hmm. workforce shortage, particularly in skilled Mm -hmm. labor. Mm Uh, do you think that that changes the game on immigration, both from a construction perspective and from a Trump, you know, presidency perspective?
1: For construction, no, I don't think that's an issue. Um, you know, for what, it, for many reasons, in many parts of the country, it's difficult to recruit younger people into our industry. Now, having said that, I'll, I'll expand on the on the question a little bit. I think one of the Positive uh, attributes of Trump's uh, infrastructure plan is that he lays out a ten-year plan, and there are multiple benefits to that. First, obviously, is that uh, agencies that dole out the money can plan better. Secondly, contractors um, will know that there is a higher degree of certainty in the in the marketplace over the longer term, and I think the benefit to recruits and workers in the construction industry. Uh, is that they see longer term job security in that they may work on one infrastructure project, and when that job is near completion, they know that their employer's got another one to send them to when that job's finished. So I think that helps us a lot in our recruitment objectives. I think the other thing is because of of the fact that Trump knows our industry and knows what skills are required to build things, and knows, particularly being a developer in New York City, that construction crafts offer the opportunity for a solid middle-class life that he will be in alignment with us on trying to influence the education system in this country to recognize that you don't need a four-year degree to be successful.
0: Right. It's work that people can be proud of. And that's something that people have looked for.
1: People can be proud of. And guess what? You can't send these jobs to Mexico.
0: Or China. Or anywhere. Or anywhere else. Yeah. So we started talking about infrastructure. And that is uh, jobs is sort of the general, uh, generally rather, the the second category that the Trump team has talked about that they want to focus on in the first 100 days. And uh, you talked about how we're starting to see more of a 10-year, longer-term plan. What are some of the other elements that, that we have heard uh, might make up this plan? Since from contractor's perspective, uh, it was heartening, I think, to see that both the Clinton campaign and the Trump campaign made an infrastructure package a signature part of their campaign.
1: Right. Uh, and beyond that, if you uh, recall um, in Trump's acceptance speech, the first policy issue he mentioned was infrastructure investment. That's right. So yeah. uh, I jumped up off my sofa and cheered. <laughs> 3.30 in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> I did. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, with, with that as a backdrop, I think a, a challenge is that he was very sketchy in how we pay for this. And I think this is where the rubber meets the road. Um, you know, he talks about tax credits that are granted to investors who put money in infrastructure projects. Well, that uh, seems a little nebulous to me. Uh, if it's viable, you know, then obviously we'll, we'll support it. But in the short time since the, uh, the election, we have been in contact with his transition team. Uh, we've been offering our ideas on how to finance uh, these projects user fees other methods of getting revenue so that you know his ambitions can actually be paid for Uh, and i think this is where we will have a challenge um, with the congress i have listened to uh, encouraging words coming out of republican leaders in both the house and the senate about infrastructure investment is the way to help get people working again that's nice to hear I think that we learned some lessons from the stimulus package back in the uh, beginning months of the Obama administration. To the extent that this looks like stimulus, uh, it will uh, probably be dead on arrival. And so I think that's why this longer-term, 10-year program, um, identifying uh, projects that can help us meet uh, or or, uh, erase or or diminish the infrastructure deficit— Um, innovative delivery tools or systems uh, that can make these projects uh, go from design to construction faster while not sacrificing environmental quality. Um, You know, all, all of these factors come in play, but I think that everyone within AGC and the construction industry ought to recognize that many of the same conservatives that voted against the Obama stimulus program, are still in Congress. Uh, And we're going to have to do a lot of convincing of them for them to recognize that this is longer term, greater benefit, provides not only employment opportunities, but investments that will generate additional economic activity. Uh, I'm really pleased to see... Um, The general business community speak up on this. National Association of Manufacturers about three weeks before the election came out with a build to win proposal uh, that looked at infrastructure uh, across the board as significant consumers of infrastructure. Uh, They have a vested interest in uh, making sure that there are efficient ways to move their product, move their goods. The Retail Federation, similarly, um, has become a, a vocal ally on this. So I'm really pleased that we're getting the general business community out in front on this issue, talking about needs, talking about it being part of their economic calculations on where they build their plants, where they build their stores, uh, where they build their warehousing facilities, the manufacturers in particular, whether it's more economical for them to uh, meet the needs of their offshore customers with offshore facilities. Uh, we want to keep those plants and those jobs here.
0: You had mentioned that there are a lot of conservatives that were left who voted against the stimulus program Early on, and were opponents of those kinds of spending programs. At the same time, I know that uh, more than half of Congress has really has turned over mm-hmm. since, I, I guess, like two thousand and ten. Even when uh, the uh, a lot of them weren't even here to vote on the original Obamacare package. So you have, on one side, these entrenched conservatives who just don't like spending programs, and on the other side, a whole bunch of people who need a lot of educating about infrastructure programs. Does that form a unique challenge to passing some kind of big, giant infrastructure package?
1: Well, I, I think you know one issue that uh, we have to take a look at is that traditionally infrastructure investment has been a bipartisan cause. You know, If you take a look at some of the recent votes on some infrastructure bills, the Water Resources bill. You know, I think passed the House 400 to 5 and the Senate 90 to 3 or something like that. Uh, the FAST Act passed with overwhelming majorities in both the House and the Senate. So uh, we've had some significant bipartisan support for infrastructure. Moving an infrastructure package uh, that's paid for early in the Trump administration that would likely get a significant number of Democratic votes, could demonstrate to a lot of the, Trump's detractors that he has the ability to govern, he has the ability to move his program, um, he has the ability to um, uh, get Democratic support for some of his policy positions. Um, I hope that's the case, and I hope that uh, Democrats will, as they've traditionally done, Uh, support investments in infrastructure.
0: So this might be the opportunity the Trump administration is looking for for an olive branch early on to try and build those kinds of bipartisan bridges.
1: Absolutely. I mean, when you go back, you know, to the first months of the George W. Bush administration uh, in the spring of 2001, he worked across the aisle with uh, then Senator Kennedy and passed a bipartisan No Child Left Behind bill. You know, President Bush didn't have the popular vote. And he basically needed the Supreme Court to ratify his victory. Like now, there were a lot of people that questioned uh, his validity as president. So Trump's got the same challenge, and perhaps even more so, uh, based upon uh, his rhetoric and his personality. So this would provide him with a really good opportunity to demonstrate his ability to work with Democrats and be a statesman.
0: But it's probably not going to be easy as that either. Of course. It really is an uphill battle no matter what issue you choose to tackle on the first 100 days because of the, the divisiveness of the candidate.
1: He does have that burden to a certain extent. To a certain extent, he brought it upon himself. Uh, but the point of the matter is he's now president or will be president on January 20th. He has a responsibility to govern. He has an opportunity um, to work across the aisle on this issue. We, we look forward to that debate, we look forward to that process, and we intend to be uh, a big part of it.
0: Speaking of process, uh, the, the last area that the Trump administration has identified, or the transition team has identified, um, is health care. And we've talked a lot about, uh, during the campaign, uh, just straight repealing uh, the Affordable Care Act and all of its components, and the debate has sometimes been over what to replace it with. but. Um, In the early parts of 2010, and uh, that debate, AGC has had come out opposed entirely to the ACA. Uh, What would repeal of the Affordable Care Act mean for AGC's construction members?
1: Well, you know, uh, we have a diverse membership uh, base. We have union contractors. that have collectively bargained Taft-Hartley plans. And one of their biggest challenges is the so-called Cadillac tax that was imposed on Obamacare that has been pushed back, I think, to 2020 or 2021. So, you know, obviously for us, a priority in the discussion on healthcare will be to repeal that Cadillac tax. Secondly, for those uh, employers that do not work under collective bargaining plans, we supported alternatives to Obamacare that will likely surface yet again uh, as this debate takes place. We would prefer to see in, uh, employer incentives uh, as well as employee incentives, tax credits um, that make health care more um, affordable uh, and also um, allow for health care plans to be sold across state lines so that you would have uh, the opportunity um, for increased competition. You know, we think that's a better way to go than an employer mandate. We recognize the marketplace. We have a war for talent. And we're trying to recruit people into our industry. Uh, our workforce surveys show that more and more of our members, I think in the last survey it was like 22% are increasing uh, health health and other benefits in order to recruit and retain their workers we'd, we'd like to see the marketplace work in this uh and we'd also like to see credits uh and deductions that provide incentives for employers to offer health care
0: is there anything else that you want to tell anybody who's listening uh about the new president what we're expecting come next year um expect the unexpected
1: uh you know this is uh
0: could it almost be the motto of the 2016 election. Could be.
1: I, I mean, this is a guy who turned presidential politics on its head. He, uh, you know, campaigned on three or four issues with, uh, that were basically more like bumper sticker slogans than well-thought-out policy prescriptives. You know, I would go back to where we started in this conversation. Uh, I view him more as a populist than as a conservative. You know, on balance, I think uh, the fact that we have a Republican Congress, that he will be appointing, in all likelihood, um, a lot of solid Republican individuals in the key policy positions bodes well for us, and uh, we'll do everything we can uh, to help him on his infrastructure agenda to help roll back the aggressive regulatory agenda that we've seen over the last eight years and do what we always do, which is to promote pro-construction, pro-business policy ideas that are good for the economy and good for our members and their employees.
0: Well, I want to thank uh, AGC's uh, Steve Sandher for joining us today, and I want to thank all of you all for listening. This has been the AGC Constructor Cast.